Well, hey there, everyone. I'm Daniel Hahn, and I'm the online campus pastor here at Oxford Assembly of God Church, and this is our podcast. And I just want to thank you for listening today. We hope the message you're about to hear inspires you, builds your faith, and helps you see that God has a purpose for your life. And now, let's get into the message. Today, I I want to conclude my brief series on the letters to the Church of Thessalonica. In week one, we spoke of lessons that could be learned, and there were many lessons. And last week, we spoke of three things that a church had to have, and that's faith, hope, and love. And today, I want us to speak of the hope of the Thessalonians and the hope that you and I have today, the promise that God will do it. Turn to your neighbor and say, he will do it. He will do it. And Rich, if you don't mind, turn my monitors off a little bit. I've already heard this twice. (laughs) But these two short books have ministered to me. And as I share today, some of you are probably going to say, well, I can do what he's doing. Because most of what I'm doing today is just sharing the scriptures from these books but man, this is, these are awesome. And as I told you at the beginning of the series, these have not been my favorite books, but I started reading them in, in December. And as I read them through uh, at one sitting, I saw some things that I had not noticed before. And I know that many of you have heard me say this. Uh, I do not consider myself to have a prophetic calling. When I say that, I hope you understand what I'm speaking of. That's not my level of calling. God has called me to be a pastor. But the amazing thing is as I've studied these books, God gave me some new insight for me. The Bible talks about that being revelation knowledge. And as I've studied these books, I've experienced the love of God and the faith of God and the hope of God. See, that's the thing. That's what we talked about last week. Three things that the church has to have, faith, hope, and love. And we need to understand that you and I are the church. I said, you and I are the church. I realize, how many thinks that if God wanted to, he could raise this whole building? But how many knows he doesn't need this building in heaven? He's got streets paved with gold. So he doesn't need bricks and mortar of this building. The hope of the church is that we get to go join him. The hope of the church. And his promise is he will do it. Paul's introduction to the letter not only applies to the church at Thessalonica, and I was privileged, I've been to Thessalonica, Actually, they called it Thessaloniki, like Philippi. They call it Philippi, not Philippi. But they have been able to be there. But the church of Thessalonica and the church of Oxford and wherever you may be watching online, this letter is for you. So let's read it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2. We give thanks to God always for all of you constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, the labor of love, 
and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and full of conviction. Now that word steadfastness is very, very meaningful. The New Living Translation uses the phrase endurance. How many know sometimes we need endurance to live for God? King James says patience. And I don't use the Living Bible very often, but I'm going to use it a couple of times today because I like what it says in the Living Bible about this verse. It says, the steady looking forward to the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. The steady, the steadfastness, the steady looking forward to the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the literal Greek word means a patient, steadfast waiting for. A patient, steadfast waiting for. Now, let's go ahead and get this out in the open. I believe Paul thought the rapture of the church was going to take place while he was still living. And that's been about 2,000 years ago. So, but he was waiting for it. He had a patient, steadfast waiting. And the words that he was sending to uh, the church of Thessalonica, or the church of Thessalonians, he was wanting them to wait patiently until the time. And he understood that they were going through, their, uh, through some difficult times. He said, steadfastness, have patience, wait patiently. How many of you are good at waiting patiently? I'm not very good at it. And sometimes I'm okay. But sometimes, let me, let me just tell you that one of my pet peeves recently, I don't know why, you know, we can blame it on COVID, I guess. Everything else blame on COVID. But it, it really bothers me to pull up to a traffic light where there's a string a mile long and you're trying to get into the next lane and somebody is 15 feet away from the car in front of them. I said, you know, you got an automatic transmission. You know, I can understand if you're driving a truck or semi and it's standard and you might run over them, but how many knows that it, you're, you're safe getting within five or six feet of somebody? Now that's just one of them. So I can tell you, I'm not very patient at that. I get frustrated. Because I'm usually the one waiting to get into the turn lane. And if people would just move up, I could do that. But patiently waiting is not something that many of us are good at. And Paul was telling them. Now remember Paul had left Thessalonica. And they basically had a warrant out for his arrest. They had accused him of treason. They had accused him because he said, there's another king that we're worshiping and it's not Caesar. We're worshiping Jesus Christ. And so they accused him of treason. So he and Silas had to leave town. They had only been there a few weeks. They had a great revival. But it was a, how many knows that if the church is only six weeks old, that most of them are baby Christians? Huh? They were baby Christians. And he was telling them, you need to hang in there. And the church was going through some very rough times. 
probably a lot worse than any of us have ever experienced. And Paul was telling them, hang in there. Hang in there. Because your work of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfast hope will sustain you. I really didn't know what hopeless was until I went on my first missions trip and I saw real hopelessness because I've never been hopeless. I've always been the type, a country boy can't survive. I had hope. Brother Bob, I, I, I had hope. But when you go to a place that's hopeless, it's scary. It's discouraging. And these people were a brand new church and they were facing persecution and Paul was saying, hang in there because you've got a reason to hang in. Now let's look at it. Going down to chapter two, verse one. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. This was Paul telling them. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, remember what had happened in Philippi? He'd been beaten near death, thrown in the prison, and him and Silas sang at midnight and they got out. But they still were treated shamefully. He said, you know that. But we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Drop down to verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Now, I tell you what, as I was reading that, the eight o'clock service, that's a sermon in itself. The word of God is at work in you. Can you say praise God? The word of God is in work in you. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God and Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same thing from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved so as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. But since we were torn away, remember that he had to leave from you brothers for a short time in person, but not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, he said, I want to do it again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown or boasting before our Lord Jesus is coming? It is not that you, for you are glory and joy. Did you catch that? Paul said, listen, I wanted to come back to you. I wanted to minister to you, but Satan has hindered it. But I want you to know something. God is still working. You still have your faith. You still have your hope. You still have your love. And you are our joy. Why was he saying that? Because they were the fruit of his ministry. The fruit of his ministry. Chapter 3. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother, 
and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in the faith. Now, Timothy wasn't as well known as Silas and Paul. So they were able to send him back to minister to them and to check on them. And says that no one may be moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as has come to pass. And just as you know, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. So they sent back Timothy and the next chapter tells about the report that they brought. He sent Timothy to check on him because he knew that there would be temptation for them to quit. There would be temptation for them to throw out the towel. Now, I know there's something there that some of us, that goes against some of our theology. I thank God what Lee said earlier about the seasons we go through. And I believe that many of you, I agree with him, that many of you are, are getting ready to go into a season of God's blessings a season of rescue, a season of joy. But I want you to know something. You look at that word again. Like I said, I know this goes against some theology. But it says, in, in, uh, uh, says the wind blew my chapter. I was wondering, that wasn't in the book the last time I read it. Let me go back now. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. That word destined in the ESV and the NIV is appointed. One translation said it's God's intent. Now you can cut that any way you want it. But sometimes Christians go through trials. Matter of fact, the living Bible says this. And we sent Timothy, our brother, and fellow worker, God's minister to visit you, to strengthen your faith, and to keep you from becoming faint-hearted. And all the thoughts you were going through. But of course, you know that such tortures are part of God's plans for us Christians. We don't like to think about that. But sometimes God allows us to go through some rough times. But the beautiful message that Paul was writing to the church at Thessalonica that was going through more persecution than any of us or most of us have ever faced, he wanted to give them hope. He wanted to give them joy. He wanted to give them encouragement. And one of the things he's telling them said, listen, we may go through some hard times, but our God is still God. He is still greater. It says, Timothy brought back a good report. He brought back good news. What was his report? They're still walking in God's faith and God's love and God's hope. They're still doing it. Then Paul goes on, and I'm not going to read all the scriptures. These are short books. I'd encourage you to sit down at one reading and read them all. But it says, Timothy brought back that report. Then Paul tells them to live a life pleasing to God. What was their circumstances? They're going through persecution, going through difficult times. He said, live a life pleasing to God. 
This is what, what I come up with. It says, while you're patiently waiting, live in such a way as to please God. While you're patiently waiting. Now, what were they waiting for? Were they waiting for their next paycheck? That wasn't what they're talking about. Were they waiting for the next election? Were they waiting for the next Super Bowl? No. They were waiting for the Lord. The Lord of the harvest to call the church home. He said, but while you're waiting, live a life pleasing to God. Church, we need to understand something. The rapture of the church is the hope of the church. It's not something to fear. It's not something to tremble with because if our commitment is to God, we can rest on that promise, he will do it. Because he's already paid the price. But they were waiting. And he said, while you're waiting, live a life that's pleasing to God. How many thinks that's good advice for us today? While you're waiting. Now, I'll have to tell you that I believe much of the confusion of the rapture and the second coming is the lack of understanding that these are two separate events. Now, we, we need to understand, and I'll, I'll be the first to tell you, there are people here today that are much more and greater scholars of pro Bible prophecy than I am. And so if I say something that conflicts with yours, feel free to disagree with me because I know that I'm not, that's not my level of expertise and you've been wrong before. <laughs> but the reality is that there's a lot of Bible scholars that have different theories and different thoughts on this. But the reality is that the rapture and the, and the second coming are two different things. The rapture is when the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then those of us that remain go to meet Jesus in the air. Amen. And then the second coming is when he brings the church back to us. And so sometimes we use those interchangeably and I realize that it creates some confusion. But if you look at chapter 4, verse 13, notice what it says. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. I get frustrated when I see Christians with no hope. Because Christ in you is the hope of glory. I've shared this before, but it was a vivid, vivid picture in my mind. When I was pastoring in Alabama, a real small town, a rinky-dink hospital. But I got a call from a young lady in the church. She said, Pastor, Mom and Daddy's on the way to the hospital. Mama's picked up by an ambulance, and they don't think she's going to make it. So I jumped in the car. I was closer to the hospital than they were. And I got there before the ambulance got there. I told you that's a rinky-dink hospital. Now you can go over to the village's hospital. You can go to any of the hospitals in this area. And to see two ambulances come in side by side is nothing really unusual. But there it was unusual. They pulled in side by side. 
and two families following them. Both of them had a mama that died on the way to the hospital. And I'll never forget this picture. The family, they were Christians. They came walking to the emergency room where I was already was there. The other family couple came walking in and the difference in them was day and night. Two of them were crying, but two of them were hysterical. As a Christian, the Bible says we do not need to grieve as those that have no hope. See, we don't say goodbye, we say see you later. And there's a big difference between see you later than I'll never see you again. We have a promise. We have a promise. It says, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, Jesus, God will bring him with those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by word. For the Lord, verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of archangel, and the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we and we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be the Lord. So discourage everyone. No. Encourage everyone. Give them hope that to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. Encourage one another. Encourage one another with these words. Now the reality is sometimes it may get worse before it gets better. But it will get better. That is our hope. Not better here, but better in eternity. God has given us that promise. Encourage one another. Notice what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last day. Time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. We may go through those trials, and, but they're going to be brief. I want to tell you something. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. One of the most misquoted scriptures in the Bible is when people tell me, well, pastor, you know, we're, we're promised 70 years. Hogwash. If we were promised 70 years, you could walk through this cemetery out there and there'd be nobody there less than 70. But we're not promised 70 years. You say, well, the Bible says it. No, it doesn't. It says if you are allowed to live 70 or if you're allowed to live 80, maybe even 90, you know, 90 compared to eternity, 
Is that quick? Now, I want you to know, I've already passed 70. It wouldn't bother me at all if I lived to 80 or 90. But I'm going to tell you something. I'm looking for a new body. I'm looking for a new body. And I don't even want to have to be a transplanted knee. I want to be a new one. That's a hope. And it says, in this you rejoice, though so that you're tested. Why, are we, why do we go through trials? So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So we can give him praise. So we can give him thanksgiving. Thank you, Lord, not just for saving me. Thank you for healing me. Thank you for restoring me. Thank you for giving me a hope that I can carry on. Then we go back to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 1. Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, but you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And while people are saying there's peace and security, then suddenly destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Now, we often quote that, say, well, we'll never know when Jesus is coming. That is totally true. We do not know the day nor the hour. The reality is, if it happens in Israel today, guess what? That's not the same day we got. So we don't know the day or the hour. But how many knows that when a woman gets pregnant, there begin to be some signs? There begins to be some seasons. And he says, you're not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you're all children of light, children of the day. We're not of the night of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober for those who sleep, sleep at night. In other words, we need to stay awake because God said, I've still got some things for you to do. I've still got something to you to lean upon. And then if we go on down to to, uh, verse 16, verse 16 of chapter 5, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, let me point something out to you. It does not say give thanks for all things. It says give thanks in all things. And there's a major difference. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Why? While you're waiting, you need to live like godly people. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here's where I got the title. He who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. What will he do? He'll do everything he's promised that he'd do. He'd do all of those things. He will do it. Second Thessalonians was written very quickly after First Thessalonians. Why? Well, we find out that there were some rumors going around. It appears that there was some teaching the church that had missed the rapture. Look with me, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ 
and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. In other words, somebody had put it on Facebook that Jesus had already come and they believed it. Somebody had sent out a letter telling us it had already happened and they were people believing it. He said, listen, it doesn't matter if we sent you a letter, if it's contrary to the words that God had said, it is not true. Jesus has not had the rapture of the church yet. How many think that's a good thing to tell them? They were discouraged. Now, we don't know what was being said. We don't know what went on, but there was one thing very rampant. They were discouraged. <clears throat> one of my favorite stories, and I know I've told this often, but it's really it's so neat. Back when the storm of the century came through, our boys were at powwow down in Fort Meade, and they evacuated the camp. They loaded them in buses and carried them up to the high school to evacuate because there were tornado warnings out. And so they were afraid it was going to go through that camp of 2,000 kids in tents and do some terrible damage. So they evacuated them all. Somehow, a father and son got left there. And they came out the next morning. They had slept through all the bad storm and came out of their tent and nobody was there. The cars were still there. Some church buses were still there. How many knows that what you, they probably thought? We're left here. We're the only ones. All those other Royal Rangers were saved. They were ready. And we are left here. How many knows that would be discouraging? There are some places in the world today they're going through some terrible tribulation. I said, there's some places in the world today that are going through some terrible tribulation. And some may think, well, this is a great tribulation, but it's not so. A number of years ago, I was traveling late at night and I heard, was just trying to find something on the radio and I had a Christian talk show there and I was listening to it. And a pastor said, how many of you ever thought that you, the rapture might take place and if you've been left behind? Have you ever given any thought? And of course, I was thinking about that. And he said, the church was raptured out of the inner city years ago. Now, we know that, that he was not saying literally, but figuratively, in the 80s, as the 1980s, most of our churches of almost every denomination left the inner city and moved to the suburbs. Now, we understand the reason. Easier to get to, crime, all those things. But friends, the church is here for a purpose, to be a light in the darkest places, and we left the dark places We left the dark places. Chapter, chapter 3. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the Lord 
may speed ahead and be honored. Or excuse me, let's go back to chapter, chapter 2. I'll jump the gun. Chapter 2, verse, verse 3. Let no one who deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship. So he takes a seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told these things? And you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. I think we understand he's talking about the Antichrist, that he will be revealed. And I realize, even the Assemblies of God realize there's a lot of different teachings on the order of events. There's a mid-trib, post-trib, pre-trib rapture. But the reality is there is going to be a rapture of the church. We may not have all the things going. But I believe there's two things. This is my opinion. My opinion. What is holding the Antichrist back? What is holding the great tribulation back? I believe it's two things. Number one, it will not happen one minute before God says it's time. Not one minute before. And I think the great tribulation is held at bay because the church is still here. I know that there's a lot of people who say the church is dead. That's a lie from the pits of hell. The true church of the Lord Jesus Christ is still alive and well. Amen. It's still alive and well. And the prayers of God's people, the workings of God's people, the missions of God's people is still doing an awesome thing. And I believe that's what's holding the powers that hell at bay. And you say, well, well, we're losing some things. Yes, we're losing some places, but it's not because of God. It's because the church has forgotten their purpose. The church has forgotten what Paul told the church at Thessalonica. He said, you need to hang on. You need to keep your faith. You need to keep your love. You need to keep your ministry because in all that is the hope. So what's he going to tell them to do? He says, stand firm. Stand firm. You say, well, what if? Stand firm. What if we get a, somebody else in the White House that's not one that we want in there? Stand firm. What if the wrong person wins the Super Bowl? Stand firm. I hope you understand I'm being facetious, but we need to understand that when things may be going wrong, we've got a hope. And that hope is in Jesus Christ. Our hope is not in ourselves. And he wants us to stand firm. Now, even before the church was born, the church of birthdays of dead Pentecost, even before then, it says, so when they came together in Acts, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So what's he saying? He said, stand firm and do the work that God has called you to do. Now in the closing verses of 2 Thessalonians, we have a scripture that I've quoted many times. But I think I missed the full connotation of it. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Now that seems self-explanatory. How many believe that's a true verse? But what was the context? See, it was written to the church. It was written to the church encouraging them to keep their hope, to keep their faith. And some people undoubtedly had quit doing the work of the ministry. They were literally waiting for Jesus to come. Jesus himself said, what occupy until I come. Now let's read that in context as we begin to wrap this up. Now we command you brothers in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked day and night that we may not, not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have the right, but to give you and ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some of you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. I know you don't know any of those. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord. Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. And as for you, brothers, Leo quoted this scripture, do not grow weary in doing good. Do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person, have nothing to do with them, that we may be ashamed. In other words, for the church. The church is not hopeless. Brother Brown, the church is not hopeless. We've got hope. We've got a reason to live. We've got a reason to celebrate. And we've got a job to do. So what can we learn from these scriptures? To get ready and stay ready. And if you're not ready for the rapture, you say, well, pastor, I don't know if I believe on that rapture. Okay, let me ask you, sir, are you ready for death? Because you're not going to get out of here alive. 
better get ready. Not just to get ready, but stay ready. To stand firm. To walk in faith and hope and love. To go to work. One of my heroes, Tommy Barnett, said, he said years ago, he said when somebody asked a question about working in the ministry, he, they say, well, I need to pray about it. He says, you don't need to pray about it. You're just late for work. <laughs> Let your light so shine before men that they'll see your good works and glorify the Father. And remind yourself over and over and over again that he will do it. He will do it. If you're here not ready, even as we open this altar, I'd encourage you to make your way here and prepare yourself because you're not getting out of here alive. I know people say, well, Pastor, you shouldn't joke about that. I'm not joking. There's a point for man wants to die. And if we're not ready, did you ever play hide and go seat when you was a kid? What'd you say? Here I come. Ready or not. That's the way death is. Here it comes. Ready or not. Worship team, come on up. Holy Spirit, we worship you today. We worship you today. And so, Father, I am so thankful that we do not grieve as those that have no hope. God, I've done hundreds of funerals. And if it's saying goodbye, I'll never see you again. I don't know if I can handle it. But for the believer, for the believer, it's so long. I'll see you later. On behalf of our pastor and staff here at OAG, we want to say thank you. Thank you for being a part of our ministry. We are grateful for you and the support you give our church and its ministries so that we can continue to do what God has called us to do, to be the family church for the family of God. For more content from Pastor Strickland and Oxford Assembly of God, check out our media website at oag.church/media.